Thanks so much for tuning into 7IM Church's podcast. We are so glad you are here. To connect with us, you can head over to 7imchurch.com slash connect, and we'd love to hear from you. We also post regularly on Facebook at 7IM Church, and we live stream all of our services Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. We believe that God is moving in our midst, and we are so humbled and excited to be a part. Thank you for listening to today's message. So today is going to be part one. You're going to have to come back next week for part two. Um, I, I, I was here early this morning. I was praying for you. I was running through the message. and I could have preached for two hours, but I'm going to save you guys two hours, and I'm only going to preach for an hour and a half today, and then I'll preach for an hour and a half again next week, okay? Do the math. It makes sense in a pastor's mind. So we're just jumping into part one today, and you guys picked the best day to come to church. Because it's eight degrees outside, but we're talking about hell. All right, it's interesting. All right, let's just let's just let the let the tension ease for a minute. Because we celebrated a life yesterday in this room. Dolores Beebe has graduated to go to heaven, and I've done several funerals, even in my young years of ministry. And I find it so interesting that death is just a topic that makes people awkward. Like, when you try to talk to somebody about death, if it's not at a funeral, it's, like, weird. Like, this is kind of strange. But I shared yesterday in part of my message, death is the only thing that's guaranteed in life. If you're a young couple trying to raise a family, it's not guaranteed that you will have kids. If you're single right now, it's not guaranteed that you will get married. If you're trying to find the job that you want and you're sick and tired of doing the same thing every, it's not guaranteed you're going to get your dream job. It's not guaranteed you're going to get your dream house. Like the American dream that culture tries to set, it's not guaranteed. What is guaranteed? That at the end of all of our lives, there's going to come a day when we take our breath for the very last time. It's one of the only things that's guaranteed, yet we talk about it the least. We'd rather spend time dreaming and talking about all these other things that aren't guarantees in life, and we overlook one of the most important things that's guaranteed. And the reason why I actually believe it's so important that we talk about eternity is this. What you believe about eternity will impact how you live today. Oh, pastor, I'm just trying to live my good life. I'm just trying to enjoy life one day at a time. Don't make me think about the end. Well, the way you think about the end will impact how you live today. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus, he actually talks and preaches about hell 
more than he does heaven. So I'm going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. This week, we're going to dive into hell. Next week, we'll jump into heaven. Does that sound good? So if today terrifies you, if today leaves you kind of longing and wanting more and wanting to know, well, what's the good news, Pastor? Come back next week, all right? Because we're going to jump into heaven. I found a few statistics that were kind of staggering, and here's why I think we need to talk about this more, uh, especially in the churches. 74% of people in America believe in a place called heaven. Now, this was a Barna research survey that I studied. And what I found so interesting is I could have just accepted that headline and said, well, that's, that's pretty good. Almost three out of every four people believe in heaven. Well, I didn't stop there. I kept reading. Because what's interesting about the survey is they have this little fine print. Because there was an asterisk next to heaven. So I wanted to see what they defined heaven as. They defined heaven as an eternal resting place for good people where they get rewarded for the rest of eternity. So, 74% of Americans believe in a place for good people, but that doesn't tell me 74% of Americans believe in the place called heaven. So that number is even less. Now, here's an interesting statistic. Only four out of ten people actually believe in a place called hell. Four out of ten, that's 40%. So for every person that you find that believes in hell, there's one and a half or two people that don't. And here's an even interesting, and I thought it was funny that they even asked this on the survey. They, they asked the question, do you personally believe that you are going to hell? One half of 1% of people personally believe that they are going to hell. This was a survey sent to 250,000 Americans. And only one half of 1%. That's a fairly small number. And then I go to God's word. Because that's what we're doing in the survey. We have questions that we want to know the answer to. And we're going to God's word for the answer. And I hear the words of Jesus say this. In Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, but only few will find it. Isn't that interesting that few people think they're actually destined for hell, but Jesus is saying the total opposite. Many are actually going to hell. Few are finding the narrow path and the right path. Yet in America, we have made out this fascination of eternal life, of full of lies and deceptions from the enemy, and people are morally confused as where they're going when they die. But the Bible gives very clear instructions, very clear answers, and I believe it's full of hope for life after death. This morning, part one of this two-part sermon is titled The Horrors of Hell. Aren't y'all glad you came to church? I saw a few people show up for the first time. I'm so sorry that you came today, but I'm so excited that you came today because if you tune in, if you dive in today, it can change your life for the rest of your life. But if we're going to even try to dive into this topic, I don't know if you need prayer, but I need some prayer before we jump in. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you. 
Lord, we come before you. We thank you that we have worshipped you. We have honored you. We have praised your name and your presence is here with us this morning. And so, God, I pray that as we open up your truth, that it wouldn't just permeate this atmosphere, that it would penetrate even the hardest heart in the room. That Jesus, this is a topic that you spoke on, that you preached on so often. Let us not miss it. Let us not miss the weight that it carries and awaken us to the reality of a place called hell. We love you, Lord. And if there's anyone listening under the sound of my voice in this room today that does not know Jesus, Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would mold their heart, that you would soften their heart to receive the good news of the gospel through this morning's message. We love you, Lord. It's in your holy and precious name all of God's children said. Amen and amen. Well, there's a story that goes as this. There was a young girl about to get married to the man of her dreams, and she realized through conversation with him a week before their wedding that he did not believe in heaven and he did not believe in hell. All right, hang on. If y'all are dating, have that conversation a little sooner than the week before your wedding, okay? Just trying to save someone out there. But she realized the man she was about to marry didn't believe in heaven, didn't believe in hell, and it kind of freaked her out. She's like, I don't know what to do. So she did what any young woman does, and she approached her mom, because mom has all the answers. Mom, you know him. He's a great guy. I love him with all my heart. But guess what, mom? He doesn't believe in heaven, and he doesn't believe in hell. What should we do? And her mother gave her this answer. Hang on, baby girl. I think we can work this out. I, I think between the two of us, we can convince him that both places are very real. The mother continued on. When you get married, you do the job of convincing him that heaven is real, and I'll take care of convincing him that hell is a real place. <laughs> Anyone in the room got a mother-in-law that's told them that hell is a very... Don't raise your hand. Jeez. <sighs> I'm, I'm an amazing mother-in-law. I'm, I'm blessed. So, Tiffany, that wasn't directed at you, I promise. I love you. But we laugh and we joke about this, and when we read those statistics, my mind goes to this thought, why do so few people actually believe in hell? So I started to play a little devil's advocate, and I started to think, well, if I were the devil, what would I do? And I think if I were the devil, one of the things that I would do is try to convince people that hell does not exist. Or if I can't convince them that hell does not exist, I'm going to try to convince them that it's not as bad as they think. And here's why. Because if the devil can convince us that hell isn't real, here's what happens for the non-believer, somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. They continue to live their life however they want. They justify the sin in their life however they want. They reject Jesus and the teachings of the gospel, and they have no real fear of God. Because if hell's not real, then... Why should I fear God's judgment or his wrath? It's, it's not a real place. But I didn't tell you a part of the statistic that struck me as really frightening. Because there was also a survey done among people who identify as Christians. Now in America, we can, we can get into the, the semantics of what that means. But anyone who would call themselves a Christian took the survey. And on that survey, they asked the question, do you believe in a place called hell? You guys want to know the results? 55% of the Christians answered yes. 
So the devil isn't just working to convince non-believers that hell does not exist. He's also trying to convince the church that hell does not exist. And here's why. Because if a believer doesn't believe in hell, here's what begins to happen in their life. They begin to live a self-centered life. They begin to idolize comfort. They begin to reject sacrifice. They avoid persecution. They fall in love with the world and they stop sharing the gospel. Because if you don't believe in hell, there's no urgency to tell people about a man named Jesus. And so the devil is working overtime to convince us of a lie that hell does not exist. But I'm here to preach one truth this morning. If you hear nothing else, hear these words. Hell is a very real place. Why does it, why does it exist? Number one, hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Satan, Lucifer, the devil, I hate to rain on your parade, but he's not some cute little guy in a red suit with a pitchfork that you see in the movies or that your kid dresses up as on Halloween. All right, let me just be a little real this morning. Satan, the devil, he is the embodiment of all evil. He is behind every addiction. Behind every abuse, behind all of the fear, behind all of the pain, behind all of the shame. These are just a few of the names that the word of God gives this devil, the embodiment of all evil. Destroyer, deceiver, dragon, dark angel, serpent, adversary, enemy, tempter, wicked one, thief. Father of lies, prince of darkness, angel of abyss, stealer of joy, killer of faith, destroyer of health, ruiner of money, obliterator of marriages, and thief of our children. So it's only fitting that there's a place called hell for God to deal righteously with Satan. Matthew 25, 41, depart from me, for you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell exists so God can deal righteously with Satan. The words of John in Revelation 20:10. John received several visions of what was to come in the future. And, and he wrote this down in Revelation. The devil who deceived them was thrown into a lake of burning sulfur where the beasts and false prophets had been thrown. They were tormented day and night forever and ever Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan, but unfortunately, that's not the only reason. Hell also exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. Hold on, Pastor. God's a loving God. He's not going to send anyone to hell. Like my neighbor, like I had surgery and my neighbor brought me brownies and they were amazing and they're such good people. They're not going to hell. God wouldn't send the neighbor that makes good brownies to hell. What's interesting about that argument is most people that would argue that God isn't just in the sense that he would send people to hell. They're also the first ones to argue that when an injustice occurs on earth, on this side of eternity, they're going, where's the perpetrator? Justice must be served. They're protesting in the streets. Justice must be served. And then they go to church and the preacher says, uh-uh, y'all want justice. Let me tell you about justice. His man's named God, and at the end of your life, he has judgment waiting for you. No, 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 no. We don't like that. Justice is only for their agenda. Justice is only on their terms. 
C.S. Lewis wrote this quote, and I think it's so amazing. Do I have the, I don't know if I have the quote up there. I don't think I do. But just take a listen to this, because this is so profound. In the long run, the answer to all of those who object the doctrine of hell itself is a question. For what are you asking God to do? To wipe out the past sins at all costs to give them a fresh start, smoothing over every difficulty and offering them miraculous help? But has he not done that so on a place called Calvary? What are you asking him to do? To forgive them for you think they won't be forgiven? To just leave them alone? Alas, I am afraid to tell you that is exactly what he has done. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. You see, it is impossible for God to be holy without him being just. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9 says, He will punish those who do not know God. Do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, for they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his Hell is a very real place. It's not a fun topic, but it's a real place. And here's why it's important that we understand and we talk through and we dialogue about it is because if we never accept the reality of hell, we will never fully appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. If we don't if we don't acknowledge hell is real, how can we understand fully that there was a man who loved us so much that he gave his life for us to keep us out of there? Not only did he give his life for us, he entered hell. He, he, he felt the pain. He felt the shame. He felt the wrath put on himself that we deserved. And he said, I don't want you there. We never accept the reality of hell. We will never fully appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. Some of y'all are already thinking, get me the hell out of here. I'm not done yet, guys. All right, come on. We're in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, there's this famous parable. And uh, my Bible, the little headline here says, it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I've renamed this parable. All right? Give me some grace. I can do that. That's why y'all pay me the big bucks, okay? I've renamed it. The church member from hell. Man, that got quiet. <laughs> Luke 16, we're in verse 19. I'll unpack what I meant when I said that, but we're in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now the context here, Jesus is telling the story, he's telling the parable. We might not understand the weight or the depth of what that just said, but dressed in purple meant this is like royalty, royalty, royalty. Um, in our days, I'd say there was a rich man who lived in the Kardashian household, all right? At this gate, there was a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So where this rich man was, he wasn't not getting food. He wasn't even being given the scraps from the palace. Now at the time, the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, 
he looked up and saw Abraham far away and with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. I lost my spot. <clears throat> Besides all this, between us, there is a great chasm that has been set in place. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And then he answered him, Then I beg of you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Here's why I titled this The Church Member from Hell. Because what's interesting is if we look at this man, he knew who Father Abraham was. He knew the word of God. He also would have been a, a praying man. Because he said, Father Abraham, help me. I, I, I'm praying to you. And if we look at verse 27, he also had a little bit of a heart of evangelism. Am I right? So on the outside, it seems like this guy was a pretty religious, righteous man. But where is he? So what does that mean? That we can look the part. We, we can show up to church. We can do the right things. We can check the box. We can make it look like we know where we're going. We can still end up in the place of eternal torment forever. I'm going to tell you later on who Jesus is preaching to when he talks about hell the most. And it's actually rather fascinating. But I want to point out four things, four lessons that we learn from the other side or hell in this parable. What is hell like? Number one, the rich man was fully conscious and aware. He was conscious. He was aware of pain. He, he said, help me, this, this torment, this agony of this fire. He could feel the pain. He was aware of his memories. His father Abraham was reminding him, don't you remember when you lived your life and you had all these good things and Abraham was here with nothing? He, he had memories and I'll even go out to say he had some regret. He, he remembered who Lazarus was because that's who he asked to cool his tongue because he knew he had not taken care of him when he was outside of his gate. The rich man was fully conscious and aware. Number two, the rich man's eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed. Now, there's some weird doctrine going on out there in the world. I've read about it. I've heard pre preachers preach it before that says when somebody dies and, and they didn't yet have a relationship to Jesus, they go to hell. But it's kind of like this, this waiting season. And, and then when they're in hell, if, if, if they realize that the pain and torture is too much and they cry out to Jesus, then Jesus will save them from there. Let me tell you something. God is a God of second chances until you take your last breath. It's too late. His eternal destination was irrevocably fixed. The word of God said, Abraham said, there's a great chasm between us. Those that want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. 
That's why I believe the church should have an urgency in their hearts to tell every single person they meet about a man named Jesus. Because we can celebrate a life lived of 98 years long and know that at some point her last breath was going to come. Or we can read the news or we can watch in our community as a father is taken away like that. A mother is taken away like that. A son or daughter is taken away like that. For tomorrow is never promised. Remember what I said, how we view eternity impacts how we live today. Do you have the urgency in your heart that there might be family members today if they took their last breath that would miss out on spending eternity in the presence of Jesus? Does that burn your heart? Does that burn you to reach out and tell them about the man that gave his life for them? Challenge you to say if it doesn't, then you haven't fully accepted the reality of hell. Number three, the rich man knew that his suffering was just. I find it so interesting that it, when he's in this place of eternal torment, he complains about the pain, he complains about the suffering, he complains about the torture, but what does he not complain about? Injustice? He doesn't say, God, it's not fair that I'm here. So at some point, he came to the recollection that where he is was just for the punishment that he deserved. Therefore, hell is a just place. Number four, the rich man begged for someone to help his brothers know Jesus. Can I tell you one of my least favorite things to do as a pastor? It's to do a funeral for somebody that didn't know Jesus. Because at the same time, I have to mourn and grieve with a family because they lost a loved one. I also have to carry the weight and the burden to look them in the eyes. And say that they won't be reunited with mom, dad, son, or daughter in heaven one day if their child or their parent did not know Jesus. That's not an easy conversation, y'all. But the hope that I give and the message that I share in those moments is simple, and it's this. If you've lost a family member who did not know Jesus, and you might find yourself in that place of wondering, well, where are they or what it's like, I want you to hear this message of peace for what it's worth this morning. That if they were still here physically on this earth, they would want you to know one thing. They would want you to know that hell's a very real place. But there's also a very real man named Jesus who gave his life for you so you don't have to spend eternity there. It's too late. We can't change it. This rich man recognized that. No, go warn my brothers. Let them know about the man named Jesus. Because hell is a place of unspeakable Suffering the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 29. I wrote this message all week and literally this morning woke up with this verse in my heart. And I don't know how I wrote this message without first going to this verse. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into. 
to go home, get the spoon out, and dig your eyes out. But what is Jesus saying? If there's any area of your life that's causing you to sin, that's causing you to stumble, that's distracting you from me, throw it away. Because even though it might feel like you're suffering now, that suffering is nothing compared to what it would be to suffer in hell for eternity. Pastor, what do you mean? If you've got unhealthy friendships that are causing you to stumble, throw them away. It might hurt for a moment. It might get awkward because you, you've lived life with them for so long. But if you're following Jesus now and they're becoming a the distraction, throw it away. Because that suffering that you might feel right now is just a glimpse. And it does not compare to the suffering that awaits in hell forever. If you've got an addiction that you're struggling with and you're like, I can't put it down. I can't stop the drug. I can't stop drinking. Jesus is saying, son, daughter, you need to throw it away. If you're running to find satisfaction in pornography, Jesus is saying, you need to throw it away. Because even though it might pain you for a moment, because you're finding satisfaction in those things, nothing compares to the torment that you will face if you spend eternity in hell. Throw it away. Revelation 14, for they will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Hell is a place of unspeakable suffering. This word hell comes from the Greek word Gehenna, which is connected to a, a very real place south of Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom. And, and the Valley of Hinnom literally means the place of everlasting punishment. And what's so interesting about this valley is, if you remember in the Old Testament, in order for somebody to be made right with God, they had to do what? They had to bring sacrifices. <laughs> like, if you've read the Old Testament, we're, we're reading through the Old Testament in our, our study on Wednesday mornings with a, a group of men, and we, we talk about this almost every week. It's mind-blowing the number of animals that were sacrificed. All right, thanks be to God we don't have to sacrifice animals nowadays because it would be stinky and messy up in here. But the Valley of Hinnom is a place where they would throw all of the animal carcasses that had been sacrificed and burn them. And then any criminal that died that didn't, didn't deserve a decent burial would also get thrown into that pile and burnt. And then all of the sewage from the city would also get thrown into the pile and burned. So just picture the poop ponds on your way from here to Dodge about a thousand times more. Disgusting, foul, wretched, maggots, this, that, and the other. And what's even more mind-blowing about this valley is in the Old Testament, when kings would take over, that were not followers of the one true God, but they followed and worshipped Baal, some god that they created in their mind, one of the ways they would worship this man named Baal is, may I say it in modern day language, abortion. So they would take their children to this valley, sacrificing their very own children to worship this god that they created. It was not an exciting place. It was a disgusting place. 
a place where pure evil existed. This is just a glimpse of what they were referencing when they were teaching about hell. The Michael definition of hell, if I may. What is hell like? Hell is a nonstop, eternal fire of torturous suffering and unending pain. A land where there is no more beauty, no more laughter, no more peace, no more friendship, no more joy, no more hope, and no more second chance. I took a sip just to let the tension build. There was this criminal named Charles Peace. And, and he was a pretty big, well-known criminal and murderer in the 1800s over in England. And after quite a, quite a few years of going on his escapade of killing and murdering and stealing and raping and doing all the awful things that he did, they finally caught him and his life sentence was death penalty. He was scheduled to be hanged and on the day of his execution, a chaplain shows up. And it was pretty normal at this time for a chaplain to visit with somebody moments before they die. And it was the chance for uh, the chaplain to, to share with the man about a man named Jesus. To say, in a few moments you are going to miss out on your chance for a second chance. But you're still living right now and you're still breathing right now. I know you've done all these horrible, awful things, but God still can redeem you. So the chaplain shows up and he visits with Charles Peace and... They have kind of their typical chaplain-y conversation. You need, to go, you need to know Jesus. If you know Jesus, if you call upon his name, you will go to heaven. If you don't, you will go to hell. And the chaplain continues on, and Charles Peace interrupts him. Says, excuse me, do you truly believe that? Chaplain says, yes, I, I do. He was like, okay, so... You're telling me that if I don't accept Jesus, I'll go to hell, and that this place that you speak of, hell, it's, it's real. Do you really believe in hell? And the chaplain said, yes, I, I do. You need to call upon the name of Jesus. And this quote is said by Charles Peace. I think I have it on the screen behind me. Just remember context. This is a criminal, a murderer, a rapist who has just been introduced to the realities of hell. And this is what he says. Sir... I do not share your faith, but if I did, if I believe what you say you believe, then although England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would crawl the length and breadth of it on hand and knee and think the pain worthwhile just to save a single soul from this eternal hell of which you speak. A man known to bring hell onto his victims came face to face with the reality of hell. And this was his response. It sounds so tragic. I would crawl the width, the breadth of England, even if it was covered in shards of glass, just to tell one person about it. And, and what's really sad about this story is it's never recorded that Charles Peace ever gave his life to Jesus. He died and nobody really knows if he surrendered his life. And so what's so interesting about this quote is 
It, it sounds like it holds a lot of depth now. But if he really didn't entrust his life with Jesus, this quote rings all the more true. That even in hell, he's going to be crying out, I need to tell somebody about this place. I need to tell somebody that it's real. I need to tell somebody about the man named Jesus. Back to the title of the parable, the church member from hell. It's interesting that when Jesus is warning people about hell in the New Testament, when you read about who he was addressing and talking to in those moments, some might say, oh, he was, at, he was talking to the prostitutes, warning them about hell. He was talking to the tax collectors, warning them about hell. He was talking to the drunks and the murderers and the thieves and warning them about hell. No, no, no. Who was he warning? The church folk, the religious, the Pharisees. Why? Because he saw beneath the skin of religion that they wore so well underneath the name tag of Christian that is just so easy to wear that they were claiming faith but they themselves did not believe it. One of the biggest tragedies in life is that in America people can grow up in church their entire life and miss out on the man Jesus didn't want anybody, even the church folk, to miss the fact that hell was a very real place. Y'all ready for some good news? Yes. Come on, someone say amen in the house of the Lord. Because I, I don't, like, I can just send y'all on your way. Hey, hell's real, yeah! Here's the great news. And I believe it's the most profound news that you'll ever hear. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. One of my favorite verses. What do I love about it? Because even before we had a hell problem, God gave us a heavenly solution. Even before we began to sin, God had a plan to redeem. Even before we were ever broken, God had a plan to make you. God doesn't send good people to hell. People choose to go there on their own. And what's so interesting about the human race is that we can argue that thought all day long. God doesn't send good people to hell. No, 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 loving God wouldn't do that. Can I ask you a quick question this morning? Are we as humans inherently good? Because I think we're arguing the wrong thing. When we make that statement, we're claiming that humans are inherently good, but I'm raising a human. I don't wake up, look at my 
son and say, hey, crew, today we're going to learn how to be a sinner. I'm going to give you a toy. You're going to play with it. And then daddy's going to come take the toy away from you. And then when he does it, you're going to go, Wah! I didn't have to teach him how to do that. We didn't send our kids to sin training school. Crew, no. Wah! Don't go there. tell humans are not inherently good. So that argument to begin with is invalid. What makes us good? When we call upon the name of Jesus and his righteousness clothes us. Because God is the only good thing there is. My prayer for us this morning is two things. Number one, to release some fear. I didn't get up here and preach on hell because I wanted to preach some Turner Bird message to you. I have no interest in scaring you out of hell. But what I do want to do is point to the truth of God's word. And I believe when we accept the reality of hell, we can release some fear that we have about this word called death. That so many people are so worried about and fearful of. That we'd understand if we know the man named Jesus, it's nothing to be afraid of. Number two, I, I, I wanted to preach this message because I believe we need to increase our urgency. Church, it's about time we wake up. Go to church on Sunday, go home, do your thing. Forget about it. That's a waste of your time. Your neighbor doesn't know Jesus. They're going to hell. Your mother doesn't know Jesus. They're going to hell. Your employer doesn't know Jesus. They're going to hell. But you've been placed for such a time as this to change that. We need to increase our urgency, y'all. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I'm not going to try to tell you when he is, but I know it's soon. And I'm going to live my life like it. And even if he don't, I don't know when people are going to take their last breath. The greatest love you can give for somebody is to tell them the truth. And the greatest truth that was ever told is there was a man named Jesus who loved you. He gave his life for you on the cross. He took on the guilt, the shame, the punishment for your sin. And he paid it in full to give you an eternal life outside of hell and in the very presence of Jesus forever and ever. So I want to read some scripture over you as we close this morning. If you would, just close your eyes and bow your heads. If you've been in church all your life, you might have heard this so much that it just sounds mundane for you. But let me tell you, that person in your life that God is placing on your heart right now that does not know Jesus might need to hear these words today or this week. So would you listen to the word of God with your eyes closed, heads bowed? The Bible says in Romans 3, 23 through 25, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. 
Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are now made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life through the shedding of his blood. Every eye closed, every head bowed. And I pray with you this morning. If you can't without a shadow of your doubt in your heart say that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know. That if you took your last breath today, you would be in the presence of Jesus. I want to ask you right now, would you give your life to him? The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. There's so much more to salvation than fire insurance to stay out of this place called hell. Because Jesus says in John 10 that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came so that we may have life and have it to the fullest. And that begins the moment that you cry out to him. So if you don't know, Pastor, I've been coming to church for 50 years. I, I think I'd be in heaven. No. Do you know? Do you have that assurance? If not, have that conversation with God right now. And I actually believe a prayer of repentance is something even followers of Jesus can do every single day. Because the scripture says we all fall short. I don't do this every week, but I'm going to do it this week. And if you would, whether you're a follower of Jesus and you're praying this as a prayer of daily repentance, or if you're praying this for the very first time, would you just pray with me and repeat after me this morning? Father God, I thank you that you give us a glimpse of the reality of a place called hell so we can truly accept the glory of your gospel and the goodness of the man named Jesus who gave his life for me. I repent of my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I declare that you are Lord of my life. For all of my life. And I look forward to the day you call me home. And I can rest in your house forever. It's in your holy, precious, and powerful name that all of God's children say. Amen.